Welcome to City Church. If you're new, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. God bless you. I am excited. You decided to join us today. We start a teaching series looking at really the most important teachings in the history of the human race, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and specifically the parables of Jesus. And so most of us are familiar at some level with these parables. You've heard them talked about. You've heard them, you know, shared at different times in your life. And this word parable just functionally means to bring two things next to each other. Okay. And so Jesus takes natural things and he brings next to them spiritual things. He takes natural realities and he compares them to spiritual realities. And that's what the parable is all about. Giving us an insight into how God thinks, how God feels, who God is. I want to urge you today. I know you guys already heard it from Mike, but I want to urge you again today. Make sure you're part of a community group. As we go through these community groups over the next six weeks, we're going to be taking these teachings and unpacking Packing them together step by step about how do we apply them to our lives. I'm really, really excited about the community group. So uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Jesus's first parable in Matthew chapter 13. You can go to Matthew chapter 13. It'll be on the screen behind me. Going to read the very first parable of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Verse one, that same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he could not... So th- Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, just to be clear, he's not speaking of someone who knit together like a piece of uh, cloth, right? He's talking about a farmer who's throwing seed. So a farmer went out to throw seed would be the way we should hear it because most of us don't understand, you know, farming too much. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rock ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear, let him hear. Today we look at the very first parable, the parable of the sower. Would you pray with me and let's open up our hearts to God. God, we thank you for a chance to gather as a church. We thank you for your church family. That is one church here all over the region and then all of our brothers and sisters that love Jesus all over the world. God, we humble ourselves right now and we pray that you would speak to each of us personally and profoundly as we study your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, another little exciting thing, church. Today, September 17th, 2017, marks the six-year anniversary of City Church. Isn't that awesome? Six years ago today, we started, just a few of us, dreaming about reaching a region for Jesus. It's exciting. And so that's just wonderful. We're excited about that. But uh, also, it, uh, it marks my birthday. Tomorrow's my birthday. And, uh, and hey, thanks. Happy birthday. I'll be 35. I know I look 25, but but it's just all this youthful joy I have. But, uh, but yeah, so it's an incredible time for our church. I love these, these fall seasons where we get to really celebrate all that God has done. But I was thinking this past week about uh, the music I grew up with. And if you, uh, probably like me, when you were 13, 14, 15, that music in that era, however old or young you are now, that music kind of marked you. So if you're in your 50s or 60s, you know, that music of your era when you were 14, 15, you still remember those songs. Or if you're 20 now, 
you know, those times when you were 14, 15, that early time. So for me, that was the mid nineties. Okay. And so the mid nineties had some great music and, uh, and that music, some of the musicians from the nineties kind of made it out of the nineties, right? Like Snoop Dogg, he made it out of the nineties. Like, you know, he didn't stay there. He's still around today or green day, green day made it out of the nineties. They're still doing music, but then there were many casualties of the nineties, right? Bands that never really made it out or musicians that made it out of the nineties. So I don't know if you remember crisscross. Anybody remember crisscross? Come on, you got to get behind me today. All right, new series. All right, yeah, crisscross. They wear their clothes back. Okay, maybe not. The kids that are like 19 are like, who, what? Look it up on YouTube. It was awesome. All right, crisscross. There was Right Said Fred. I don't know if anybody remembers Right. He was a little weird. I had his cassette tape. A little bit of shame to say that, but I did. Yeah, there were these things called cassette tapes back in the day. I had it, and uh, his big song was "I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt." I don't know if you remember that song. I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying it was a big deal for me. I don't know why. But, uh, but one musician, one musician that was really big in the 90s had a huge hit. And I think really had one, I mean, maybe two, but, you know, this was the, her big hit was Lisa Loeb. I don't know if everybody remembers Lisa Loeb. Lisa Loeb, everybody's like, who, what? Well, you might remember her song, Stay. It went, you say, I only hear what I want to. Anybody? I don't listen hard, don't pay attention to the distance that you're running to anyone, anywhere. I don't understand if you really care, I'm only here and begging. No, no, no. Okay, no. Nobody backed me up. Thanks a lot. I was the only dude who likes Lisa Loeb. All right, well, that was a big song. I mean, it was huge. Like back in the 90s, you could turn on a country radio station, Lisa Loeb. You could turn on a hip-hop station, Lisa Loeb. It was like, Lisa Loeb is everywhere. This one song was a big deal, and it just captured the hearts and minds of so many people. And it has in it buried a very interesting, very important, very provocative truth. She says, you say, I only hear what I want to. Each of us if we're honest, knows that we all suffer in various degrees from the disease of what we could call selective hearing, right? Selective hearing. You remember watching Charlie Brown as a little kid and he would sit in front of his teacher and his teacher would go, and he would go, yes, ma'am. And that's how many of your teachers sounded to, to you all through school. Some of us, yeah, or maybe that was your mom or you have this distinct ability to not listen to certain things certain people say. I have this ability, by the way, in a heightened degree. I have like a PhD in selective hearing. It's amazing. People ask me sometimes, does it distract you if somebody's like talking or something during your sermon? I'm like, I don't even hear them. And it's the same skill that enables me to completely ignore my kids when they're crying or screaming. And my wife will be like, hey, Justin, do you not hear that our son is crying? And I'm like, oh, God didn't give me that frequency. I, I don't even... I don't even hear that, babe. That's going to have to be your job, right? So, you know, like that's, that's one of the things. My oldest son, he's here today serving. He has like a double portion of my selective hearing. It's incredible. So we'll be like, hey, Gabe, hey, Gabe, hey, Gabe. And he'll have a book and we'll be literally standing over him. Gabriel! What? What do you, what? Did you say my name? He's like, yeah, you're like your daddy, you know? So, so we each suffer from this in one degree, you know, or another, but, uh, But it's one thing to ignore your mom, which you shouldn't. It's one thing to ignore your teachers in school, which again, you shouldn't. But it's a whole nother thing when we start using that selective hearing disease towards God, where we only hear what we want to when it comes to the things of God, where God is trying to speak to us, and yet we have learned to filter out his voice amongst the noise of life, right? I think that many of us, if we're honest, are pretty good at selective hearing when it comes 
to God. And so Jesus, when he starts his parables, he starts it with this parable of the sower and he ends the parable by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Now to the natural man, that sounds confusing because most of us have ears, right? And most of us can hear. Of course, he's not talking about the physical ears that are attached to your head. He's talking about the spiritual ears that are attached to your heart. And he's saying, if you ever want to know God, if you ever want to know truth, if you ever want to know life, if you ever want to know yourself, you must develop spiritual ears, spiritual ears. And the only way, according to Jesus, to develop spiritual ears is to pause, to quiet yourself, to reflect, to humble yourself and to listen. And so as we begin our journey into the parables, I want to urge you to open up your heart and listen today. Listen to what God would say to you, because I can promise you this, whether you've been following Christ 30 years and you've heard this passage a hundred times, or maybe all of this is new to you today, I can make you an ironclad guarantee. God is trying to speak to you today. And so will you listen? Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them, listen up, listen up. You got to listen up today. So the parable of the sower was intended to expose for you your heart's condition. Okay. And the seed in the story is God's truth. All right. So God's truth is sprinkled amongst the people of the earth. He shares his truth. Okay. And the agent of the sharing of that truth is the sower. Now the soil, and you'll notice the soil is the thing that changes throughout this uh, parable. The soil is what your heart looks like to God. Okay. And sometimes we don't see our own hearts, but that's what your heart looks like to God. So in verse 18, Jesus starts to explain this parable and he shares with his disciples the meaning of the parable. And he says this, hear then the parable of the sower. Notice he does it again. He's like, Hey, listen, you've got to hear. You can't just hear. You've got to hear. You can't just hear. You've got to hear, hear then the parable of the sower. And he goes on to describe four different hearts, four different types of soil. Now, if you've heard this many times, maybe you grew up in church and you've heard the parable of the sower a million times, we have a tendency to oversimplify the parable. And we go, you know, the first question we ask is, which soil are you, right? And everybody's like, I'm the good soil, man. I'm the awesome soil. We're good to go. Next parable, you know. And so I want to encourage you today that that's not the most accurate way to consider this parable. Instead, it would be better to look at each of the different descriptions of the different soils and ask yourself not, am I 100% this? Because most of us are not 100% anything, right? But instead say, where do I see evidence of this condition in my heart? So maybe you've been a follower of Christ your entire life, or maybe this is your very first time at church. I want you to ask that question again and again today. Where do I see any evidence of this condition in my heart? And maybe it's just in a corner of your heart, or maybe it's just off to the right side or the left side of your heart. But whatever the condition is, ask yourself, do I see any of this, any fragments of this condition in my own soul? Can we do that today? Is that good? Everybody doing good? Balcony, you guys doing good up there? Yeah, in the back. All right, everybody's good. So check out what Jesus has to say about this because he's going to describe for us our own hearts. Verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Everybody say the path. 
The path, yeah. I remember as a kid, I lived in a neighborhood. There was probably 30, 40 houses in my neighborhood, okay? And a bunch of, a bunch of kids my age, and we'd all play and everything. And uh, those days are gone. There's no neighborhoods, no kids, nobody plays. But anyways, back in my day, we used to do that and uh, in the 90s. And so, and so we were all there, and then there was some woods. And then on the other side of the woods, there's probably 50 more houses. And so there were like these two neighborhoods, and they were disconnected by a, sa- a section of woods, okay? Now, the kids had gone back and forth and back and forth through that section of woods so many times that we had really developed over the course of years what we called the path. All right. And there's no vegetation on the path. There's no trees. There's no shrubs. There's no nothing because the sneakers of the kids had destroyed anything that would try to live and had pounded the earth so much that it was now like cement, even though it was just dirt. Right. And so maybe you had the path where you grew up. I don't know, but our bicycles would go across the path and we had actually ripped the fence back on either side so that we could just crank through on the path from one neighborhood to the other. Now, in this day, when farmers went out to sow their seeds, each plot of land was not surrounded by a fence like we so often see today, but it was surrounded by a path, okay? And so, you know, shepherds, kids, moms and dads would walk on the edges of the farmland and they would make a path. And so as a sower was sowing, throwing his seed, it was very common for some of these seeds to land on the path that surrounded their farmland. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that your heart Just like the earth, when it takes a continual pounding, can become hardened, so can your heart. So can your heart. And when your heart gets pounded and pounded and pounded, it can become just as hard as the path. So how does it happen? Well, maybe something got chopped down. Maybe there was a tragedy in your life, an unexpected loss. You, dis- you walked into a situation you never knew about and you lost a loved one, you lost a family member. And since that day, your heart just started getting hard like a path. Or maybe it was growing up. Everybody used to make fun of you. Your parents said you were never doing it right. You were never good enough. And they just pounded you and pounded you and pounded you and beat into your head that you weren't quite enough. And before long, your heart started forming a path, or maybe it was religion. Maybe you'd get up and go to church as a little kid, or even as an adult, and people would say, do this, do this, do this. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And little by little, you felt like God was pounding your heart into a path because it never felt like you were accepted. And so things got harder and harder on the inside. Well, the scripture tells us what happens when they hear truth. When a person whose hearts become like a path, hears truth that says they don't understand. Now, at first, that sounds offensive, right? Like we hear that in our 2017 mind and we say they're not smart enough. But that's not what the word actually means at all. In the Greek, it means bring together. They do not bring together this truth. In other words, if your heart has been hardened through the situations of life, when you hear God's truth, it never can go from your head to your heart. It can't be brought together from head to to heart. And so you mentally agree with it, but you don't personally experience it. And so other people have their hands up and their eyes are, you know, they got tears running down their face and they're worshiping Jesus. And you're sitting there going, how many songs do they normally sing? When is this over? Right. Or other people gather up to pray and they're all got their hands together and they're singing and they're praying and kumbaya and oh God, we need you. And you're thinking, I have to take care of that appointment tomorrow at work and I've got things I need to do later. I wonder if Julie would shut up so we can finish this prayer time. 
the path. The path, your heart has gotten so hard. See, you accept God's truth. You say, oh yeah, Justin, I agree with that. I agree with this. I agree with that. But you've not personally experienced the power of that truth on the inside. You accept it up here, but it's never gotten in here. You're not moved by the truth. You're not compelled by the truth. There's not something inside of you. When you hear about that, you go, that's me. Whoa, wait a second. I've got to change the way I think about sexuality because of God. I've got to change the way I think about money because of God. I've got to change the way I think about relationships. I got to do something about what I just heard. If God's word is truth, it's convicting me. What am I going to do about it? That's what a soft heart does when it hears the word. But so often our hearts become hard. I wonder if this has snuck into any of the corners of your heart. And little by little by little, you're hardened. So what happens to that word? Well, the scripture tells us that the birds steal the seed, right? And that's a picture in the parable of Satan, of demonic forces that rob you of the revelation. And so you sit here today, come on, I'm just being honest, and you have knowledge, but you don't have application. You have knowledge, but you don't have revelation. And so the first question that I want to urge you to consider that I believe Jesus forces upon us through this parable is has my heart become hardened to the truth of God? You can jot that thought down if you don't mind. Has my heart become hardened to the truth of God? I remember growing up in teenage years, I became a Christian and I, I met this kid. He's a really nice guy. loved Jesus. Parents loved Jesus. His, his sister loved Jesus. His brother loved Jesus. His dog loved, everybody loved Jesus. Incredible family. They were all Christians and on fire for God. They went through a really difficult time. One of his family members got sick. He ended up passing away. And I watched little by little as his heart got harder and harder and harder towards God. And before long, it was like he didn't want to talk about Jesus. He didn't want to pray. He didn't want to read the Bible. He'd come to church now and then, but, but he wasn't really interested. Now, fast forward, it's been, I don't know, 10, 12 years since those days. And he is depressed. He is empty. He is frustrated. And his heart is ice cold. I wonder where your heart is right now. Do you have ears to hear? Verse 20, take a look. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So this is almost like the opposite of the person with the hard heart. This is the person with the personal experience, right? And I know some of us are in the room. You've had a personal experience and it was joy and it was love. And every time you come to church, you're weeping and you get goosebumps and you go, look, ah, ah, and you feel God and you feel peace and you feel his experience and his love. And it's amazing. You say, wow, this is so so cool. Every time I come, I'm moved emotionally. My heart is stirred. Something inside me is shifting. I'm singing my song. I'm crying. I'm worshiping. But verse 21 says there's a problem. It's yet, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So in other words, just as the person who had the hard heart couldn't connect their head to their heart. So this person has the heart but it never connects to their head. In other words, they believe in joy and peace, but they don't really understand the cross. They don't understand what Christ did, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, the transforming agent of the Holy Spirit, the power of the life to come living inside of me. Those are just philosophical ideas. They know peace, they know love, they know feeling, but they don't know God. And as soon as difficult time comes, as soon as the job gets, you know, you lose the job or the relationship falls apart or illness strikes or tragedy hits, they start going, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I thought we had a deal. God, I thought if I followed you, everything was going to work out. And now everything's not working out. Why am I even following you? And they begin to fade away. Not realizing that they never truly loved God. They just loved the comfort that they hoped God would bring. That's the shallow heart. That's the shallow heart. And Jesus is saying, beware. Beware of a shallow heart that just comes to God for his things rather than for himself. Beware of the shallow heart. I know so many friends and brothers who have suffered from a shallow heart. One friend I know so well, he grew up in a Christian home and said all the right things, went to a Christian school and then went to a Christian college and did all these very Christian things. He was very Christian. And yet when things got difficult, he faded away. He started sleeping around and lying to those who loved him most and hiding. Shallow heart. The second question we are faced with in this parable is, does my devotion waver when the trial comes? I just wonder if you would take a moment and consider that for yourself. Is there a corner of your heart that that really resonates with? Does my devotion waver when the trial comes? I don't know if you noticed that it said that this person with the shallow heart, it said they had no root in themselves. I thought that was interesting. No root in yourself. In other words, you can't survive off someone else's roots. Did you hear that? You can't survive off your grandma's roots. You can't survive off your wife's roots or your brother's roots or your kid's roots or your dad's roots. You can't survive off someone else's spirituality. You must have a depth with Christ yourself. It's not enough to know that Justin loves Jesus or that Sue loves Jesus or that Mary loves Jesus or that Joe loves Jesus. You've got to know him yourself. You've got to have a depth of love in yourself or you won't survive. Verse 22, he tells us about the third type of condition in the heart. As for it was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. So we've been warned now of a hard heart. He says, beware that the corners of your heart do not get hard. Look for evidence of hardness in your own heart. Beware of a hard heart. And then we're warned of a shallow heart. Beware of those who would just worship Jesus, have a big experience, but not live that experience when things get tough. Beware of a shallow heart. Now he speaks of a more subtle issue, a more subtle problem. He says the problem is that your heart, it's sharing space between God's truth and other things. We call this the divided heart. The divided heart. He says your heart is divided where you love other things like you love God. And there's not a supreme love for God that's demonstrated through your life. And so, yeah, I go to church and I love God and I do this, but I also really love my job. And I really love my job. And if it comes between my job and God, it's going to be a tough call. Or I really love my kids. And I know I'm supposed to love my kids, but the truth is I think I might even love my kids more than I love following God. And if I had to pick between the two, I think I'd probably pick my kids. Or I really love my money. I really love my bank account. Or I really love that new relationship. Or I really love that comfort, or I really love that entertainment, or I really love that fill in the blank. And there's competition in my heart. There's idols fighting for position in my heart before God. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus describes the idols that would fight for our affection, he doesn't say it's like this desire to murder. He doesn't say it's this desire to do drugs. No, he says that the things that would fight for your affections in your heart, first one he lists is worry, worry. You can be more attached to worry than you are to God. 
You worry about your kids, you worry about your wife, you worry about your job, you worry about the future. Always worrying, worrying about this, that, the cares or the anxieties of this world. And the truth is you spend more time worrying than you do worshiping. Now it's an idol. He calls it the deceitfulness of riches. That's when I just want more. I got a nice house, but I want more house. I got a nice car, but I want more car. I've got a nice whatever, but I just want a little bit more. If I had more, then I'd be satisfied and then I'd get more and it's not enough, so I got to get some more. And so I'm always looking for more. In Luke's gospel, he outlines another thing that would compete for our hearts. He calls it the pleasures of life. I like my lazy boy more than I like prayer. I like my comfort more than I like worship. I like my things more than I like seeking God. In Mark's gospel, in the same passage, he describes it as a desire for other things. A desire for other things can choke out your love for God. Now think about that just for a moment. Other things. What other things? Good things. Good things can choke out your love for God. Other things could just be my family, could be my kids. And so this person may be the most dangerous condition of the heart. Because this person sings in church, this person worships God, this person gives money in the offering, this person does all the right things, church. They do all the right things, they do them just right, and on the outside you'd think, boy, that person's really spiritual. But when you step back, all the fruit of their life has been choked out by these other things. And so you step back and you look at their life and you say, you know, they've been following Christ for five years. Have they led anyone to the Lord? No, they've not led a single other person to Christ. Oh, that's strange. Well, have they ever discipled someone in their faith? Have they ever brought someone from a person who doesn't know Christ to a person who's now mature in Christ? No, they've never spent the time to disciple anyone. Well, didn't Jesus say that our big commission was to go out and make disciples and they haven't made a single disciple their entire Christian life? They've never led a single person to Christ? Wait a minute, isn't that fruitfulness? Well, then you say, well, what about internal fruit? Do they have an expanding experience of joy? More peace than they had a year ago? More love for others than they had six months ago? Is their soul expanding? You say, well, there's no extra Internal fruit. There's no internal fruit. What could possibly be wrong? They seem so spiritual. What's wrong is other loves. What's wrong is idols in the heart that are choking out the fruitfulness. And this is exactly what Jesus warns of. He says they got all the right things on the outside, but when you step back, you notice that there's no real fruitfulness in their life. Is the third questions we've got to ask today: Are the affections of my heart divided? Jot that thought down. Are the affections of my heart divided. In verse 23, it explains the fourth condition. Stay with me today. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He brings it together, head and heart. He indeed bears fruit and it yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. So it's describing this fourth type of person. And it says this person, the soil of their heart is soft towards God. It's not hardened This person, when trial comes, their heart gets deeper in faith, not more shallow. This person, when they see idols in their heart, they forsake those idols. They run from them. And on the inside, this person is experiencing higher degrees of love, higher degrees of joy, higher degrees of peace. And on the outside, this person is leading people to Christ. This person is making disciples with their life. This person is growing up others in Christ. And they are incredibly fruitful. In fact, the results are exponential. Now we read this and most of us, we don't have a farming background, so we don't really know what he's talking about. But if you had a tenfold harvest, that means that you made 10 times the money on your harvest that you invested in the seeds. Okay. That's pretty good. 10 times the amount you made would be an incredible harvest. Jesus doesn't talk about tenfold. In fact, when the early people who first heard this were farmers who heard this, they were all like, what? 
30 fold, 60, 100. Are you kidding? Nobody gets a hundred fold harvest. So what Jesus was saying here is he was saying, listen, when your heart is right before God, the results of your life are exponential. You can accomplish in one lifetime the impossible. Now consider with me for just a moment the implications of this teaching. What he's trying to speak to us because this is radically countercultural and even counterintuitive to our 2017 way of thinking. It doesn't, it doesn't sit naturally with us because all around us, pop culture is telling us that the trajectory of your life, the success or failure of life, it'll be determined basically by your talents. If you're really talented, if you have this great skill or that great skill, discover your talent and then get a couple of big breaks and that's going to set the whole trajectory of your life. And so if you've got this particular gift or this particular skill, just stick with it and that trajectory of your life is going to be settled by your talents. We go, yeah, so talented people who get big breaks, they're the ones who make the biggest difference. Educators would come along and say, hold on, it's not just about talent. You've got to go to the right school and you've got to get the right degree. So an educator would say the trajectory of your life, it's really going to be largely determined by the school you attend, by the degree, the degree you obtain. You got to go to the right schools and get the right degree. The biologist might come along and say, well, those things are important, but ultimately it's already in your genes, in your DNA, in your ancestry. That really determines who you are, what you were wired to be and how you were wired. That forms so much of your life. The sociologist might come along and say, well, sure guys, that's all fine. But the truth is it's who you hang out with. If you hang out with the wrong crowd, you'll end up in the wrong place. If you hang out with the right crowd, you'll end up in the right place. Just find the right people. That's the solution to a fruitful life. Now, without discrediting the importance of talent, education, ancestry, or relationship, Jesus in this text tells us the most significant factor in determining how your life plays out. And he says the condition of your heart sets the trajectory of your life. Just consider that thought just for a moment. The condition of your heart sets the entire trajectory of your life. He said some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Their fruitfulness didn't come from their talent. Their fruitfulness didn't come from their biology. Their fruitfulness didn't come from the crowd they hung with. According to Jesus, the fruitfulness of their life exploded because their heart was soft towards God. Did you see that? Because their heart was set towards God. Their heart had been softened, their heart had been deepened, and their heart had been strengthened. Their heart was soft towards God. And because their heart was soft towards God, they lived a radically fruitful life. They made a world-changing impact. And their life echoed through eternity. That's what he's describing here. Now, church, I think the most tragic thing, look at me just for a second, is that if we're honest... Most of us take little or no time to actually consider the condition of our hearts. We don't even know. If someone had to ask us today, what is your condition, the condition of your heart before God, we'd be scrambling like, have you reflected? Have you considered? Do you have any sense of where your heart is before God? Have you prepared your heart for God? Have you prepared the soil of your heart? See, an unprepared heart will always lead to an unfulfilled life. Always. Because your heart needs God. And when it's unprepared, you can't reach him. The seed gets snagged by the evil one. The seed gets choked by the cares of the world. 
the seed gets burned by the sun. Is my heart prepared? Now, if it was just you and God alone in a room, I wonder how would you answer the question, what is hindering my fruitfulness in life with God? What's hindering my fruitfulness? Is it that my heart has gotten hard from the circumstances of life and now I sing the songs, but I don't feel the love? Or is it that my heart's just been shallow? I've never developed an understanding of what he really did. And so I have a feeling, but I don't have a real deep conviction. Or is it that all the different worries of this life, I'm consumed with this and consumed with that, busy with this and busy with that, so much so that I've lost track of the eternal in the midst of the temporary. If you had a few moments of honest reflection, where would you find yourself? You're here today and you say, Justin, my heart is hard. I feel it. I know it. I don't, I don't want it to be hard, but it is hard. Or, you know, you say, honestly, my love for God is pretty shallow. I trust him when everything's going right, when I have the job and I have the relationship. And I, but as soon as things start to fall apart, I'm like, what did you do? And I start to question him. Or you say, you know, if I'm honest, I care more about my job or my kids or my wife or my future or my whatever than I care about him. And I've just been asking him to bless my thing. I haven't really been all about his thing. And I don't want to be this way. I want to change. I want a soft heart. I want a heart that's full of good soil, not full of weeds. I want a heart that goes deep with God, not a heart that's shallow. I want to. And so I tried to rip up the roots, but they just keep growing back. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've tried to pull up the rocks, but they're too big for me to pull up. And I've tried to soften my heart and heart, but it just keeps getting harder. I'm not sure what to do to change. I want to be different. I want to love God with my whole heart. I hear you talking and I say, yes, that's what I want. But I don't know how to get to what I want. I don't know how to experience what you're saying. And I've tried a lot of different things. I've gone up to the front a hundred times and said, this time it'll be different, God. But I find myself here again. What do I do? How do I change my heart? I want to tell you today, there's actually only one way. There's not 10 ways. There's not 20 ways. There's only one way. There is only one way to see your heart softened. There's only one way to see your heart deepened. And there's only one way to see your heart united. And it's through a great exchange. It's an unexpected way. Through a great exchange. See, 2,000 years ago, God put on flesh and bone. He lived in the limitations of a man. And he walked the hardened path through the old city of Jerusalem. He walked that hardened path all the way up to a mountain called Golgotha. And it was on that mountain that he was crucified. And after he walked the hardened path and he was crucified, he entered into the stony ground. The scripture says they laid his body in the tomb of the rock. He himself entered into the stony ground. And when he hung on that cross, he 
took the thorns that were to choke out your fruitfulness and he wrapped them around his own head as a crown and he wore the thorns that would try to invade your heart so that you would not have to wear them. Jesus walked the path. Jesus entered the rock. Jesus took the thorns. He became the substitute for your sins so that he could give you by the merits of his mercy a soft heart so that he could give you by the affections of his soul a deep faith so that he could give you by the love and compassion of his own goodness undivided affections Jesus did it so that he could do it in you and so now he calls to you in the Old Testament it says it like this he says my son give me your heart give me your heart run to me Come to me, not with your agenda, not with your strategy, just with humility, brokenness, honesty, transparency, and willingness. Run to me. Run to me. Give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. And if you would, right here, right now, you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life, or this is all brand new to you. If you would, right here, right now, there's a promise that rings true for you. In Ezekiel 36, it says it like this. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. Would you come just like a child today? See, it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You can't change your own heart, but you can prepare your heart by giving it to him. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Question for you. Will you come? Will you come? Will you come? Just for the next minute, would you close your eyes? I just want to invite you to focus your heart on God. I don't know every detail of your story. God does. I don't even know what brought you into the room today, but God had a plan and he brought you here on purpose because he wants to soften your heart. He's doing it right now, in fact. Right now. Maybe you didn't expect to be open to faith in Jesus when you walked in and yet something inside of you is stirring. Friend, I want to tell you that goes deeper than emotion. It goes higher than intellect. That is the spirit of God. He's calling you as deep calls out to deep in a way that no human conscience can fully understand. He calls you now and it echoes through the depths of your soul. He calls you and says, you're my child. Come home. And you can run. He'll still call. But why would you? Why would you when a God who loves you longs to heal you. You're here today and you say, Justin, if I'm honest, I'm far from God. If I'm honest, I'm not at peace with my creator. There is a God-sized hole in my heart and I've tried to fill it with a thousand things. You've tried obeying all the rules through religion and that just made you feel worse. You tried doing your own thing and making up your own rules and that just made you feel empty friend, come to Jesus. Come on the merits of Christ. Come and believe in his cross. Come and surrender your heart. Come and open your soul. 
And if you would surrender, if you would be honest, if you would submit, if you would open your heart, he will meet you right now. He will meet you right now. He'll fill your soul with peace. He'll forgive every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. And he'll make you right with God and give you eternal life. It is the promise of all promises. It is the most important decision of your life. I don't know what your story is or what your history is, but I know that God calls you right now and it just takes a step of faith to believe in his death and resurrection, to receive forgiveness of sins for yourself and to surrender your stubborn heart to God because he loves you. I know many of us have, but many of us must right now. You must. And with your eyes closed, I want you just to consider for the next 20 or 30 seconds, is this me? Do I need to turn my heart to Christ right now? Do I need to run home? Have I been far from God? And today's my day to turn. My son, give me your heart. If that's you, just as a symbol of trust and surrender, would you lift up your hand and say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's me. That's me all across this room. God bless you. All those with your hands up, you can put your hands down. Anybody else say, that's me. That's me. It's my time. It's my time. I need to surrender. I need to surrender. I need to surrender. This is you and God. This is you and God. This is you and God. Would you surrender right now in the quietness of your own heart? Would you just make it real to him right now? You don't need perfect speech You just need an honest heart. If you're here today and you feel like, Justin, I don't know if I'm a follower of Christ, well, then would you whisper this prayer with me today? You can whisper it right now. Just say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died for my sin and rose again. Hear the cry of my heart. Take me just as I am. Forgive me make me new I surrender to you right now thank you for receiving me church I want to take a few minutes today for every one of us wherever we are in our faith journey to have a conversation with our creator And would you ask him today to soften your heart if you find places where it's hardened? Would you ask him today to deepen your faith if you find places where it's shallow? And would you ask him today to unite your affections if you find places where you are divided on the inside? Oh God in heaven, we pray that even as we sing this morning, you would meet us and you would change us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.